It's so good to see you guys, all you beautiful, smiling people. Hope you're doing well, um, doing really good. I'm excited about today. I love summer, but I'm always really excited to get out of summer. So like now in August, I feel like we're at least headed there. So and I think we're getting a little bit of a glimpse of it with the weather this weekend, kind of chilled out just a little bit. So it's so good to see you guys. If this is your first time at Fathom, we, we want to genuinely just welcome you, and we pray that this this feels like a home. We pray that this is a place where you can not uh, only just encounter God and grow in your relationship with God, but that, that you realize that that means growing in the relationship with the family of God and just growing and, and doing that together. And I'm just excited about what God's doing here. So if this is your first time, maybe you're here for the, the second time. Uh, we just want to tell you as a family, welcome. welcome home. We want to tell you welcome home. So I hope it does feel like that for you. So we're glad you're here. Today we're starting a new leg of our journey called Black Sheep. And uh, really just talking about this whole thing we call church. Talk about church. I don't know about you, but I, I've always felt like a bit of a black sheep. Um, not necessarily in my family, and I don't know that it was ever actually... There was times in my life where I, I felt like I was a black sheep for whatever reason. Things I, I did, or, or people groups, or, um, or friend groups that didn't accept me. But I think most of my feeling like a black sheep for most of my life, I've, it's really been internal. It's been a lot of things that I've actually... Um, kind of separated myself and, and felt like a, a little bit of an oddball. And I, I think in the church is actually a place where we feel that a lot. Because the church is kind of this place where a bunch of black sheep get drawn together by Jesus and um, just refined by his love. And so I, I think we all come from those different things. I think when I was, I was younger, I had a lot of anger towards the church um, and not towards people of the church. It, it, that, that was the funny thing. I, I, and a lot of it I considered to be righteous anger, like super righteous anger. I thought I was like going to be Jesus and turning tables over and building weapons. And like, you know, I, I think a lot of it I could kind of say that it was like this, this righteous anger. Um, where I was, I was upset and, you know, bitter about different models in the church or hypocrites in the church. Um, maybe it was to do with the services and I didn't like things in that. And I was just super, super judgmental about everything. And it was really through a song of all things that God really kind of um, began to kind of cut me just straight down the middle when it comes to uh, my relationship with the church. And it was this chorus from this uh, songwriter I used to, to, to listen to a lot. I haven't listened to him in a long time. But he, uh, his best album, I felt like, was this super like, um, album that was really uh, about the church. And the, the chorus of it says, um, and, and I won't sing it, but um, I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her if you love me you will love the church. And the song is called The Church. And it was just this powerful thing of here I was in kind of my righteousness with the Lord and I felt like I was growing somewhat. But here in my immaturity, I was super angry at the bride of Christ and for her imperfections. And if we look into the, the Old Testament, even with like God's relationship with Israel, there are, are, are these not just... Um, like this identification of the church being like sheep, you know, then he's our shepherd that we find a lot in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, there's a lot of imagery regarding like as Christ the, the groom and the church as the bride. And many times it's referred to in the prophets and, and other books uh, of as a whore or a harlot that has been unfaithful to the spouse. 
and God's pursuit of us, even though in our unfaithfulness. And so um, that just resonated with me. And God began to just cut this up and, and said, hey, if you're going to love me, then you better fall in love with my church. And I think I talked about this a little bit last week, that many times we find ourselves like pointing this finger uh, at other people as they're kind of walking in hypocrisy or whatever it is, as we're kind of living in our own sin. And it's so funny that we find ourselves mad at other people for something that we're also doing it's the whole whole pot calling the kettle black thing and, and so um so anyway we're going to dive into this big conversation just about the church and and I don't know if you've gone through something like I've gone through and maybe that bitterness and kind of I don't know um resentment or frustration or like scratching your head uh, about this whole thing we call church um maybe you're going through it now maybe you'll go through it in, in the near future um and for I think for all of us we all interact um, with the church, so I think it's important that we kind of digest what this is and unpack it. So we're going to be looking at three different texts today in the Gospel of John, and we'll unpack a few more, and I'll kind of quote a few more, but, but mainly in the Gospel of, of, of John. And John's the only Gospel that's not chronological. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all like right in order, birth, you know, life, death, resurrection. Um, John's not, not like that, but kind of what happens today and how we're going to go through it will kind of be more in a chronological order. And so we'll begin at John chapter 10. And here there's something known in the gospel of John as the I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the good shepherd, which we'll look at that one next week. It's also in this, in this chapter. And here's another one that he says, I'm the gate. I, I am the gate. So um, let, let's unpack that a little bit today. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, I, I think before we go into really unpacking like what the, the church is, I think we have to, or unpacking really our relationship with the church and, and the love and care that I, I believe the scriptures teach us and Jesus kind of pounds to us that, that we should have love for one another and for the church, his bride. Before we go into that, it's important that we kind of define, like, okay, what, what is the church? And I think it, it's most straightforward. It, it's those, if you go back to verse 9, it's those that have entered into Jesus. Because I, I think many of us, we can define those that attend church to be the church. And, and that's, that sounds good. Or those that are involved in the church of being the church. And, and we're his people, like, we're the church. And, and, and that's true. But really, the, 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 the most straightforward, most specific version of it is those that have entered through the gate are sheep. We're the ones that have entered in through Christ. And, and in this text, he's actually speaking to a lot of Pharisees, and he's like, look, you can try to enter in all these other ways, but it's only those that enter through me. It's only through Christ we're saved. Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 8, 9 says that it's, um, it's by grace we have been saved through faith so that no man can boast, that we can't boast because we did this on our own good works or our own good thinking, but it was only in Jesus. Um, Romans 8, uh, 15 actually says that we've received adoption to sonship, that we've been adopted into the family of God. And so I think that's kind of the first most specific thing that we have to understand, that it's not attendance, it's, it's not involvement, it's not giving that makes us a part of the church, it's faith in Jesus Christ. And so the things that follow after that of attending and being involved and giving all, it's kind of like byproducts of this relationship with Jesus. 
And uh, so I, I think I have a, a little bit of a de- definition, a really straightforward definition to kind of get us rolling on what the church is um, right here. And I think they'll throw it up for us. Being a part of the church is adoption into the family of God and it's participation in the mission of God. It's adoption into the family of God and participation in the mission of God. It's meaning that all of us black sheep, whether you feel like that or not, we come in and there's a text we'll probably look at later in this, in this series that says that Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one that's lost, that's running, that's fallen in a ditch somewhere. Jesus leaves to go find that one. Um, being a part of the church is adoption into the family of God and participation in the mission of God. So all of us black sheep, every, every Jew, every Gentile, every black, white, red, yellow, we are precious in the sight, like wherever we come from, like however we come, rich man, poor man, smart man, not so smart man, mature lady, a little less mature lady, creative, analytical, goofy, really straight-laced, all of us black sheep can come from our places into the same family, and we're sitting on those roads. The church should be the most diverse place in the city and the most unified place in the city at the same time. But not diverse in the way that we have all these different belief systems. No, it's through Jesus that we find that unity. It's under the gospel of Jesus that we find that unity. And so it makes it the most beautiful place in the world. And and this kind of, I feel like, idealistic world that we can kind of paint is supposed to be present in the church. Not idealistic in that there's no problems, we have no issues, and we don't have to work through anything, and that we're not fighting for freedom in our own personal spiritual journeys but that we're working together and there's this family that's built together and knit together. So it's adoption of the family of God. And as we come from all these places, all these different black sheep, we're, we're made and we're transformed into the image of Christ. And that all of us are called to be more like Christ. I mean, that song was just kind of say, oh, to be like you. Like we're called into that. And so we, we leave the flesh nature behind as we're adopted in, as we put our faith in Jesus and begin to walk in that spirit nature that he's given us. We, the old has passed away, the new creation has come, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and so we begin to walk in that. And 2 Corinthians 5 also says that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation, participation in the mission of God. That's our mission statement is Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go into the world, make disciples. We participate in God's mission. It's our co that's why I call it the Great Commission. It's our co-mission with Jesus. We're called to live that out. So we come from all these diverse places, and we're called to go and, and live that out. And it's funny that as we kind of begin to come into the family of God, and we realize this kind of diversity of function and, and diversity and things. Everybody's at different places and has different personalities, all these different things. And it can kind of be frustrating, and it can kind of make us feel even more like a, a black sheep. I've found that many times we fall in love with personalities and not people we'll fall in love with a personality and then the more we get to know them, maybe we just like them, we don't love them so much. <laughs> you know, after we find out the real, the real person. And I think what we can really learn just in this kind of diversity is that if we can learn to, to um, love the, 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 person, uh, the person for who they are, not just, the, we'll learn to love the personality, if that makes sense. I found some of the toughest relationships for me to kind of cross like the starting point or get a couple 
you know, feet down the road, it's after I kind of got past that place that I really began to love that person. They were just so interesting. I've never met anyone like that person because I, it was different for me. It was, it was a diversity I wasn't used to. And so I, I want to I just continue on into this idea of what it looks like in the family of God and dealing with that diversity, not diversity of faith, but diversity of function and diversity, even though we're drawn into the unity that we have in Christ. And I think it starts here. Loving Jesus means loving one another. Let's move over to John chapter 13, just a few chapters down, down the road. John chapter 13, it says this. My children, I'll only be with you a little longer. Jesus is getting ready to peace out, um, at least for a little while. And he said, I'll be uh, with you only a little longer. You, you will look for me, just as I told the Jews. So I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command. It's weird to me that Jesus says this is a new command. Love one another. That's like new. That's brand new. Like you've probably heard that a thousand times in your life. Here the disciples are. Jesus uh, is like, I got a new one for you. Love one another. And maybe he's just being super sarcastic. And I would love it if he is being super sarcastic. Have you never heard of this one? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And listen to what he says um, right here. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you, if you love me. Jesus isn't talking to outsiders here. He's not talking to, to folks on the street. He's talking to church folk. He's talking to disciples. Really, the only church folk there was, really, is the disciples that were following him on this journey. And he's saying, everyone else, it's not going to be by your, your great kind of missionary outreaches and raising time. It's going to be, they're going to know you're with me, because remember, I'm leaving. They're going to know you're with me by the way you love the person sitting on the road with you or in a small group with you. That might be different. They're going to know it by that work there, because love is, love is a little bit missing in our world. I don't know if you've noticed it's a little bit missing, and the hope of the world, I believe, rests in the church. As flawed and as broken and as imperfect as she is, I think it's found in the church. And so a part of our calling here is to resurrect a trust in the church and in the family of God. Not that it's not happening all over the place, but in this community, on this street, on our plot of gathering here, is to build that up and restore trust in the church. And we're working diligently to do that. They'll know your mind by your love for one another, but let's be real, that's hard. But some of the things that happens, I think uh, I talked about this a little bit last week, we want to do us and Jesus thing going on and kind of forget the, get the body and just kind of leave that, leave that behind, but, but you can't take the groom without also taking the bride, and, and that's an extension um, of Jesus, and, and some, of, some of it can be referred to as we're just taking the head of the gospel without taking the body of the gospel. And what we find in that is a false gospel. And so we need to take uh, the, the full thing, and we need to learn to walk in this great love for one another. But let's be real, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, and that's where I found myself at, at probably er, much earlier in my walk, where um, I could love any homeless dude on the street. I would bear hug him and hang out with him for hours. But the folks I had trouble hanging out with was church folks. Seriously. So I identified so much with Jesus because he went in there and turned over to him. But now and he, he lived it out. He loved these guys. He did life with them. And so what I found out is like, hey, I was basing basically my, uh, my love for other people on whether I respected them or not or whether they were hypocrite or not. And it's not like, and so I would just pick and choose those I was going to love. And, and I was forsaking the body. I was really... Like saying, you know, for, forget the body of Christ. I, I'm out there for all those lost sheep. And, and while we should pursue the lost sheep, like we've got to understand 
that it's about loving one another. And, and that's difficult, but it's in that loving one another that the things that God's doing in private with us, the things that maybe he speaks in a setting with this, those things get refined as you get into deeper relationships with people. I, I'll tell you, I'm super patient when nobody's around. I'm a really kind person when I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> But the more I interact and get pressed up with people that are different from me, I have an opportunity, and God refines it in those relationships. And some of us feel like maybe we're not moving forward, and maybe the reason for that is because we're not interacting. That iron's not sharpening iron. All the men that have been in our summer nights group, that iron's touching one another, and it's, and it's sharpening us along the way. I want to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, and it says, it says this. It's talking about the body of Christ. I actually use that analogy. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Paul speaking to the the church in Rome, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Isn't that kind of what I was doing? I was kind of like super high and kind of religious and I had it all figured out. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So the diversity is in the function. So in Christ we, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to the other. So not only are we supposed to love, but we actually belong to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift's prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's a couple things I, I want to share uh, on this because the diversity is in our function. And this is in Fathom Church. If we look at that in the very literal version of what that means in our current context, it means to understand church. What we're, we're really digging into is, is fath- we're fathoming church, like understanding what the church is built together, weaved together, and it's our functions weaving together. It, it, it's our... Um, insecurities and our inefficiencies and the things that we fall short in. It's people on the same row with you, in the same room with you, that making up for where you lack. And not just for you, but for us as a body. And God's put those people in your life, and a lot of it's just waking ourselves up to it and and, and valuing the people around you, that they bring as much to the table as we do. So let's unpack that with just a a couple of statements that I I think will help. The first is we have to discover, embrace, and love our function. We have to discover, embrace, and love our function. Some of us go our entire lives and we never discover this unique, divine gifting and function that God wants to do in and through us. And, and we miss out on the real joy of interacting and being a part. And so we, we kind of always feel like we're not doing anything because I think we haven't discovered it. And so part of our DNA sessions are this afternoon from 4 to 6, I want all of you to be there. I'd love for all of you to be there. We've completely redesigned it. Even if you've been serving for two years, like you will find something fresh like for you in this and, and a greater connection to the body. So we'd love for you to be there. And part of what we do in session two of that is unpacking that and helping us discover our giftings. Discover, and, and I think the second part is embrace. And by embrace, I mean living that out. Like so you, you discovered it, congratulations. Now let's embrace it and walk it out. Because many of us, what we do is like, okay, we discover it and like, eh, yeah, I was kind of hoping for something a little sexier. It's <laughs> kind of hoping for something a little more fancy, you know, a little something that sounds a little 
funner, you know, but we have to embrace, like, the function that God's given us, and by embracing it, I mean living that out and walking that out, and, and many of us will discover it, and we'll embrace it, and we'll begin to walk it out, but we always have a little bit of disdain for us, or this thing that's meant to be a blessing to the body of Christ, that's to build up the body of Christ, ends up being an own, a curse in our own life, and so we don't love it. We, we never fall in love with it. We're always desiring what someone else has or the, the function that they bring to the table. And, and as we explore that, it helps us get connected um, and know our part in the family of God as well as participation in the mission of God, of truly being a part of the family of God and walking that out. That's not the, the um, only thing I would say, but I'd say this, is prominence doesn't equal significance. Prominence doesn't equal significance. If you come to DNA sessions, you'll hear that again. Uh, and this is a big deal. Like sometimes we think that uh, a person who teaches uh, has like a superiority deal or whatever. But it's all level at, at the, 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 the feet of Jesus and that we're all bound together in one body. And so we walk out this in understanding that whether what we see or whether what we do is ever seen or not, whether it's prominent in the least bit, if no one really even pats us on the back, we are significant in the kingdom of God. If you never preach to millions of people, if you never teach a class with 10 people in it, if you never get to see life change in the 10 kids that you pour into in Fathom Kids, if you never see when they grow up and you never see that, you're walking in the significance that God's called you to walk in. And it's such a great joy. And I'll tell you, it takes a lot of just um, walking with the Lord to him pouring in that significance, that my significance doesn't come from all these things I do for God, but it comes from being with him and finding out what's most important. Um, one of uh, my spiritual mentors um, would say this regarding our ministry and our function, and, and it kind of goes with this, if, um, you know, just loving others. If you're going to love Jesus, you've got to love others. And, and he would say, um, uh, God cares more about how you treat people than he does about your ministry. God cares more about how you treat people than he does about your ministry. Many times we think, what's most important? Like, let me figure out, um, you know, my gifting. Let me go do these great things for God. God cares more about how, how you're interacting with the people right in front of you and the love you're showing to them more than he does these great exploits. Because if you have not love, you have nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, and 14. So we've got to wrestle into that and find rest in who God's created us to be. Discover that. Embrace it. Fall in love with who God's created you to be and walk that out um, in communion with one another. So let's continue on to, to um, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I'm going to read this all the way through and I'm going to unpack this. <clears throat> Jesus has um, now been crucified and he's resurrected. He's actually already appeared to the disciples twice. Showed up twice to them already. Here's a third time. It's early morning. They're going out, and they are, are fishing. You guys have probably heard one of these stories. Um, they, they're out fishing, and they're catching nothing. They've been out there all night, caught nothing. And Jesus yells from the, the shore, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And immediately after they do that, they catch a whole load of fish. Like, they're worried the nets are going to break because they've never been this full before, and they don't break. They catch all these fish. This whole idea of Cast your net on the other side is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Uh, but here we find this. Um, uh, they bring all the fish up. Jesus has some bread. And, and I love this image that we find in this, in this text uh, of Jesus making breakfast for his disciples. 
I love the idea of Jesus making fish and biscuits for breakfast for his disciples after he's been resurrected. Um, And he says this to to Simon Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old... You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this uh, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He was was crucified. Um, He'd stretch out his arms. Then he said to him, follow me, follow me. I want to unpack this just as we begin to close today. Um, Because I know God's dealing with us in, in our relationship with him and how it's being walked out in his relationship with his body. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful text, and if you know uh, some of the story, then you, you'll remember Peter's the one who disowned or who denied Jesus three times. And so by the third time of him asking him this question, Peter's like, I get it, Jesus. Hurts enough. I already feel bad enough <laughs> about what I did. And Jesus is digging in, and sometimes it's in that frustration that we have with the Lord when he's pressing on something. You ever had this happen in your life? He's pressing on something, and the closer he gets into it, the more mad we get. Anybody ever been there? All right? We, we get more and more at mad and frustrated with God, and he's trying to get us to a place. He's digging in. Let me, let me unpack some of the Greek here, and I don't want to bore you with Greek study, and I'm terrible at transliterating it, at reading it, but you'll, you'll hang with me. Jesus asked it three times. The first two times that Jesus asked, do you love me? He asked it using the Greek word agape. In the Greek, they have multiple words for, for, for love. There's like sexual love. There's friendship love. There's God's unconditional love is the word that they use for agape. He asked him twice, do you agape me? And, and Peter responds every single time using the Greek word phileo, meaning a friendship love. I love you. As friends, <laughs> um, some of you, some of you have said that like a boyfriend or girlfriend. I love you, but it's like not like that. Um, and uh, he's pressing on this, so he says, "Do you agape me?" I phileo. You ask him again, "Do you agape me?" I phileo. And then by the third one, he's like, "Do you, do you phileo? Do you even love me? Like, like friends? Like, is it getting in there?" And, and by that point, Peter's like, "Jesus, over it. Get the point." But every time he, he affirms, yes, 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 yes. And Jesus points him to action. Okay. You love me? Feed my lambs. And here he actually uses different words in this. And I've never heard this talked about. But he, he actually uses different words when he talks to them. The first uh, words um, he uses uh, really says uh, about basically feeding, giving nourishment. And here he's obviously talking about spiritual nourishment, but also physical nourishment. To little lambs, like the, the word that's used here on the own means little lambs. And, and I think for, for many of us, we, we may like not know where to start like when it comes to fulfilling this mission. Like feeding little lambs like sounds like somebody else's job. And kind of translating this to our lives. But there's always someone 
right there that's struggling around us. And when we're so caught up in our own journey, we miss what God wants to use in us, our function. And what, I, I love the story in Exodus chapter 4. I love the story of Moses because he was super insecure and really kind of tried to run from the call of God. Like he, he had a ton of excuses for God in Exodus chapter 4. And he had a speech impediment and stuttered and God called him to lead millions of people out, uh, out of slavery. And at the very beginning of Exodus chapter 4, um, Moses is kind of, kind of complaining and, and kind of just presenting his insecurities to the Lord about this whole big call he's given him. And he, he, says, um, he says, but Lord, like, what? they're not going to take it from me, like stuttering Steve. Like, they're not going to take it from me. Like, what if they don't believe what I, I've got to say? And I love what the Lord asks him. He says, what do you have in your hand? And Moses is like, a shepherd's staff? That's not going to help me say something. He says, throw it down on the ground. And so Moses throws it down on the ground. It turns into a snake. Like, flip me out if that happened. I'm sure Moses was super comfortable with snakes, but I would flip me out. And he says, grab the tail of it. And he grabs the tail of it, and it turns back into a staff. Like, cool miracle, cool trick. But I, I think the meaning, and the meaning for us today is that God wants to use us right where we're at. And he's asking us the question, like, what's in your hand? Like, I know you're not perfect. And you feel a little bit kind of separated or whatever, I know. But God wants to use you. What's in your hand right now? And he, in the second question, in verse 16, he asked it again. And it's, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I phileo. And he says, take care of my sheep. And, and this time, it's, it's, it's about like, like a, a nourishment and a care, a genuine care. But the word that's used here, probaton, in regards to the sheep it really, the definition of it is like any furry four-legged thing. <laughs> any four, it's like basically sheep or maybe a furry goat or something. Any four-legged, take care. And, and so I think what God would be asking us today is, all right, use what you have. Like what's in your hand right now? Who's, who's around you? What's the, what's the four-legged furry thing in front of you? Like who's in front of you right now? Like sometimes we're like searching for this great mission or this great calling all on the other side. We get dreams and we get visions about things all over. What are we doing right now? Like what's in our hand right now? What's, what are we doing with the people that are right in front of us? And if we love Jesus, are we expressing that? Are we serving the people around us? Who's in front of us right now? There's coworkers with you right now. There's some little lambs around you in the, in, in the, in the checkout line, in your next door neighbor. Like they, they don't have much faith and they want that encouragement. Who's in front of you? And this verse 17, he, it goes on, and he basically says, look, you dressed yourself when you were young, but when you get old, man, it's about to get real. It's about to get real. You're going to have to stretch out your arms. Someone else is going to take you where you don't want to go. I think the third question that the Lord wants us to ask today is, will you follow me? I know you don't have the next 50 steps. I know you don't have maybe one step figured out about what's next in following Jesus. But I just need you to say yes in this moment. And once we can get to this place in our relationship with the Lord, it's one of the most freeing places in, in, in our spiritual walk. Is where it's like, God, I don't have to have it all figured out, but I say yes now. I'm scared to death to say yes then, but I know I can't walk away from this moment without saying yes to you right now. So give me vision, God. Give me peace. Let your spirit give the strength to say yes now in following you. Um, a lot of this is 
unpacking a, a little bit of my personal story and calling um, and now deep, deep love for you and for our church and my passion to see God use you. Many times we come to, the, the, come to uh, a, a church building and um, to see like gifts, right? To see someone's function this, and, and to be built up by that. And that's great, like God uses it. And, um, but we often don't come in the mindset that God wants to use me in this place and out of it. God wants to use me. I've got unique function. That's just because it might not be prominent doesn't mean it's not significant. Doesn't mean that I can't participate in the mission of God. And so I, I think the Lord's just, just saying, just follow me. Just say yes in, in the, right now. And so um, I want to call you to stand this morning and just bow your heads. And, and for just a moment, just let like what the Lord and what the Spirit's speaking to you just like settle into your heart. Because men can inspire us, men can stir things up, but it's the Lord who confirms in the heart. It's the Lord who, who, who draws today. God, we just rest in your presence and, and want you to speak to us now. God, you're calling us. You're asking us today, God. If you love me, I know you, I know you love me. I you say you love me. Do, do you love each other? Do you, do you love the person on the road and like genuinely love them? Not like friendship love. Like, do you love them like I love them? I believe that God wants to heal some bitterness in this place. He wants to, to heal some resentment towards his body. He wants to rest some doubts. He wants to bring peace to the wavering heart, to the, the heart and pain. I believe healing and peace is what the Lord's bringing to us today. And I believe through that, he's doing what he did with Peter, and he's stirring something up and saying, you love me, take care of the lambs. Feed the sheep. Build up the body of Christ. Use what's in your hand. Walk it out. Jesus said in Matthew, the, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. May it not be said of the people of God in this room and the family of God that's present at Fathom Church that the workers are few. God, I pray that you would just stir up and resonate in, in our spirits what you're calling us to do, and that's to follow you in serving one another, in loving one another, in building up the body of Christ. In, in using what's in our hand, being faithful with what you've called us to. God, I pray that you'd heal hearts in, in this place. You'd bring peace to, to the wavering mind. And God, I pray that we'd find hope everlasting.